welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Powder snow. It's one of Japan's finest natural assets. And over the past 20 years, the country has become known around the world as a dream destination for skiers and snowboarders, with pro athletes from John Olsen to Jeremy Jones waxing lyrical about the white stuff. Yet Japan has had an on and off love affair with snow sports. And as domestic interest in skiing and snowboarding has waned, resorts have become increasingly reliant on international visitors. So when the pandemic hit and the borders were shut, many of them were plunged into crisis. Over the past couple of months, I've been working with Japan Times contributor Francesco Bassetti to look at the rise and fall of the Japanese ski industry and how resorts are faring with so few people able to enjoy them. Francesco Bassetti, welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Oscar. Thanks for having me. And it's good to, good to see you again. You're kind of living the work from home dream.、Uh, you've managed to rent out a house in Hakuba, a big ski resort in Japan, for the whole season. And you seem to be taking every opportunity you can to get out into the mountains. So, what's it like skiing in Japan at the moment? I mean, I'd like to, to, to say that it isn't, it isn't everything that you dream, but. It's actually been a really an, an exceptional season. There's been a lot of snow. And, and of course, the fact that there's a lot less people on the slopes is, I, I have to admit, it's, it, it is very nice. <laughs> But at the same time, it's also this bittersweet feeling. There's certainly moments when you're out on the slopes in, in Hakuba or, or in any of the other mountains and you kind of look around and you see that everything's a bit empty, particularly during the week. Um, I've been out a few times and everything is completely empty. And you just wonder, like, how are businesses doing? What's the long term effects going to be for these mountain resorts? And I think that's actually what kind of motivated me to, to write this article and to, to get on board with you and, and, and look into what are the effects of the pandemic on these ski resorts. Right. And I joined you in Hakuba at the beginning of the year to help research this article. Do a little bit of skiing as well.、Um, and I do remember sitting at the bottom of Hakuba 47, one of the resorts there, at the end of a day skiing. And at the bottom of the resort, they have a base station with cafes and bars and all sorts of restaurants. And there was, I think, one or two customers. No one was eating or drinking or doing any of the usual après ski activities. And the car park was half full at best. Yeah, and it, I think it, it has a big contrast to a lot of people who have been here for many years and who have skied in, in Japan for many years. And they often speak about how crowded it can get in these resorts. And I've, I've only been here for just over two years and, and I haven't experienced that at all. So before we get too deep into the effects that the pandemic is having on the ski resorts, I'd actually like to get into a bit of the history of skiing. So when was skiing first introduced to Japan? Well, I think. Japan has like, quite a, an interesting ski history. I mean, of course, they have a lot of snow, so skiing has always been, in a, in a primitive form, has always been part of, of the culture.、Mm, so you're talking like long planks on your feet and maybe some bamboo poles. <laughs> exactly, bamboo poles and, and primitive pine skis, just as a means of transport,、uh, essentially, for mountain communities in, in the winter months. And then, let's say, the first sort of official arrival of skiing as like a Discipline that was developed and taught was in the early 20th century. Basically, it occurred because the Japanese army had a big、uh, accident up in the mountains in the north of Japan, in the Hakoda Mountains in Aomori Prefecture. 
and around 200 people lost their lives. And the military suddenly realized that it would have been a good idea to develop a means of transport on snow. And so they brought over a major from the Austrian army called Theodor von Lurch. And he was a very proficient skier. And there's actually a really funny picture of him in Japan in his military uniform with a big black top hat and this bamboo pole and wooden skis. And it's very, very far removed from what we see today with our Gore-Tex and big yeah. skis. And, <laughs> and anyway, he was, he was brought over to teach the Japanese military how to ski. And actually, there's a funny anecdote when I was out in, in, the, in the mountains around Hakuba skiing. Um, one day we were, we were out backcountry skiing and we were in one of these beautiful Japanese birch forests, lots of snow, wonderful setting, nobody around. And suddenly we found ourselves face to face with three young men who were interestingly dressed. So they had like very old school clothes, big uh, leather backpacks, huh. uh, wooden skis. Why, why was this? Why were they dressed uh, in, in gear from the early 20th century? Exactly. Well, we were very confused when we saw them. One of them even had like a raccoon, a raccoon skin attached to his backpack. And, <laughs> and basically we started chatting and they were part of the, the defense force and they were just out training in, in the woods. Yeah, I just found that very amusing. It looked like they were straight out of the out of the nineteen twenties. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one of the, one of those stories where they went off one day and uh, got caught in some time portal, and uh, you know, have been living in the forest ever since. Exactly, <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like, to be honest. So, when did skiing start to get a bit more exposure as a leisure sport that um, the general public can get involved with? So, I think the the first big step was definitely the nineteen twenty eight Winter Olympics in. St. Moritz, Switzerland. So this was the first time that Japan competed in a Winter Olympics, and this really helped uh, give the sports or winter sports in general visibility and sort of bring people to the mountains. So that was the kind of period from 1928 onwards. Then obviously there was the war, so there was a lull. But then back in, in the 1950s, we then get the sort of next chapter in, in Japan's skiing history. Mm-hmm. And here just generally as economic growth and increased prosperity sort of went hand in hand with more skiers going to ski resorts and and a period of gradual increase in interest in winter sports and in spending time in the mountains. So this growing popularity leads to Japan's first major winter sports event, which is the 1972 Sapporo Winter Olympics, which was also the first Winter Olympics to be held in Asia, right? So, you know, not just a significant milestone for Japan, but also for the continent. Yeah, extremely, extremely significant. Not only did Japan also win various gold, silver and bronze medals at the Winter Olympics in Sapporo, um, it also established this long history that they have with the ski jumping events. And we just saw the other day in Beijing 2022 with Kobayashi Ryoyu um, of Japan winning gold in the men's normal hill ski event. Quick side note, I just find it fascinating that the, uh, the, the men's ski jumping or and the women's as well is called the normal hill. <laughs> It's everything but a normal hill, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think every time I look at it, I I, I just think I'm never going to jump off that. Not in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. And so the 1972 Winter Olympics, winning all these gold medals, what does that lead to in terms of interest in snow sports in Japan? 
Well, I think this kind of opened to the next chapter, which is um, very tied to what was going on in terms of Japan's economy as well. So the sort of bubble era. And just like in the bubble era, there was big spending, everything was over the top. The same thing definitely happened in the ski world. So there was a massive development of ski resorts and a massive interest in skiing. It really became the national sport for young people in Japan. Well, I think the peak was in 1997, and they had over 18 million skiers, active skiers in 1997. And that was spread over something like 700 separate ski resorts in the, in the 1990s. It was a real boom period in Japan in terms of skiing and the ski industry. Absolutely, yes. Absolute boom period. Japan was one of the countries with the most ski resorts in the world, up there with the United States, um, France, Italy and Austria. And just, you could also say an unsustainable, unsustainable growth. Mm. And in fact, that leads to the next chapter, which is the Nagano 1998 Olympics, where it sort of marks the peak of, of all this. How Japan's ski industry responded to the falling visitor numbers after this short break. Are you looking for a new job? Then today's sponsor might be right up your alley. Today's episode is brought to you by RGF Professional Recruitment Japan, the bilingual arm of Recruit, Japan and Asia's largest recruiting and information service company, helping thousands of people every year to unleash their potential. RGF partners with multinational and domestic businesses with a global outlook in Japan to provide market-leading bilingual talent across all industries. Their career consultants ensure that your job search is smooth and stress-free whilst identifying the best opportunities to meet your career and personal goals. RGF specialises in finding positions for skilled professionals across all functions of enterprise technology, professional services and consulting, consumer technology, back office and finance, industrial and manufacturing and healthcare. Visit rgf-professional.jp, that's rgf-professional.jp, to register your resume and unleash your potential today. That link is in the show notes. You said 1998 marks the start of the decline of the Japanese ski industry and that the number of active skiers peaked in 1997 with about 18 million taking to the slopes. How many active skiers are there now? Yeah, absolutely. So by 1997, we have the peak. And then today we're looking at around 6 million active skiers in the country. So uh, a massive, massive decline in, in the total numbers and also in, in the number of ski resorts. It's kind of hard to get the numbers, but it's believed that there are about 500 ski resorts left in Japan. And every year, a few shut down. And in all but a few of, of the main ones that are kind of attracting new interest, um, there's very little investment and it's just been a, a steady decline. Uh, one of the sort of legacies of the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano Prefecture was just and it's kind of reflective of what happened in the rest of the country, was just the amount of debt that was accumulated by the, the Nagano prefecture. This was something that a lot of people that we talked to in Nagano commented about, like the sort of negative economic impacts of those Olympics. It was kind of a new, unanimous view was that they came at the wrong time and that they didn't bring what they expected. 
In contrast to that, especially now, because in Beijing, you have obviously a lot of Japanese athletes out there. And for example, there are four athletes who are locals of Hakuba. There's also a lot of pride as well. So the negative side everyone talked about about 1998 Olympics was it was very bad for us economically. But then at the same time, they do also say it inspired a whole new generation of athletes and it did bring sort of this awareness about winter sports. So there, there are two sides to that that coin. Mm. I guess as part of that bringing awareness piece, uh, it brought awareness to Nagano, not just domestically, but also internationally. And I think those Olympics really helped put Nagano and Japan on the map as a international ski destination. And it was around this period, as the domestic numbers were starting to flatten, that people we talked to said that ski resorts and businesses began looking to target skiers from overseas, pivoting their operations to appeal more to international customers, particularly people from Australia. So skipping ahead a little bit, how were things going in the lead up to the pandemic? Well, I think you, you touched on it exactly there. In that period, there was a realization that something had to be done differently. So there was, especially in certain resorts, such as Niseko and Hakubao, obviously also uh, Nagano in general, because of the Olympics, there was a the realization that appealing to international tourists could sort of provide a solution, seeing as there wasn't a, a pickup in the domestic market. So I'd say the next chapter in Japan ski resort history is definitely the let's call it the international chapter and attracting foreigners and initially this was certainly australians obviously for a geographical factor where they are they were interested in skiing and, and japan's the closest place to them and on a similar time zone as well which helps. yeah absolutely absolutely just a lot of reasons why it made sense for australians to come and ski in in japan and then uh, more recently we have interest obviously from european american tourists and then even more recently in the last few years there's been a large uptick in east asian interests tourism and a lot of investment so developers from china hong kong mm. singapore so to just fast forward to today Today, Japan is definitely considered a, a ski mecca and, and home to some of the best snow in the world. The big unique selling factor of Japanese ski resorts is definitely the snow. The snow is what brings people to Japan for skiing. One of the things that we also heard from owners of businesses in ski resorts, and you know, we heard this repeatedly, was how valuable international skiers were compared to domestic customers. And that's not to downplay the importance of domestic customers at all, as they still make up the majority of skiers here. But they were saying that international guests who come to Japan for winter sports typically stay much longer and spend much more money than domestic visitors do. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that a lot of the, the business owners that we talked to pointed out is the, the different sort of behaviors. I mean, it's also a question of, of spending power. So for example, the, the Japan Tourism Agency estimates that inbound tourists for winter sports spend an average of 225,000 yen during their stay in Japan compared to an average of 153,000 for inbound tourists in general. But the other thing is that compared to domestic skiers, the behavior is different. So um, whereas a domestic tourist, especially Japanese tourists, will tend to enter a a hotel resort uh, or a ryokan and stay within that, let's call it bubble, and just spend there, international tourists will stay for a longer period of time and they'll want to explore different resorts, try different food, go to the yakitori place, try the different onsens. Mm -hmm. And you kind of like spread the money across the whole community. So 
people really realized that that brought an added value to to tourism in in their communities and one story that st- stuck out for me was uh, there was the owner of a really very nice ryokan in Hakuba called Toshiro Maruyama, and he's the owner of the Shiro Umaso Ryokan in Hakuba. And it's this wonderful, quaint ryokan where you walk into the lobby and he has 300-year-old wooden beams mm. that were the ones of the original farmhouse. <laughs> and he's done really well in, in this, in, in catering to international tourists, because he realized that they would stay for longer. So... This has really helped his business, which was struggling after the lull of the late 1990s and and early 2000s. So pre-pandemic, we have a ski industry that is much smaller than it was at its peak and one that is increasingly reliant on international tourism. So what happened when the pandemic actually hit? So when when the pandemic struck we started to see signs in in the in the 2019 2020 ski season but the travel ban was only enacted in march 2020 so a lot of ski resort towns that rely on on just ski tourism and winter sports were probably feeling quite relaxed They're like well this is going to last a few months but the olympics are coming next season is going to be good I think that was the general the general feeling but then yeah fast forward 2 years and still no international tourists and and still fewer domestic customers because that's kind of been the the real double whammy let's say has been that not only have international tourists been cut off completely due to the travel ban of March 2020 which is still ongoing but also the various states of emergency and general disease within Japan about traveling obviously due to the to the pandemic the ongoing pandemic has also scuttled plans for domestic tourists yeah we've also seen some of the worst moments of the pandemic times with the highest number of COVID-19 case counts coinciding with the ski season because cold weather helps contribute to the spread of the virus and as a result of those high cases and states of emergency the number of domestic skiers has also been reduced. Yeah, and we're, and we're seeing that now, actually. As you were saying, I've, I've been in, up in Hakuba for the last few months. And whereas Christmas was a pretty good season, as in a pretty good moment for them, where things were pretty full, obviously just domestic tourists, but it seemed like business was, mm-hmm. was doing well. Now with the sort of growth in Omicron cases, town feels really empty. And so what does this mean for the ski resorts? How have they actually been impacted by the fall in customer numbers? Well, the the effects have been varied and it's depended a lot on the ski resorts and their business models. And there's certainly been closures. And although this does kind of follow the pattern that we were talking about before, where in general, smaller ski resorts have been closing down every year. But COVID has certainly pushed quite a few of them over the brink, like the last straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the ones that come to mind are Mizuo Highland and the Utopia Mountain Resort in Shimane Prefecture, which both went into administration. Uh, The Mount Racy Ski Resort in Yubari, Hokkaido, which filed for bankruptcy in January 2021. And the Sanosaka Ski Resort, um, which closed its doors this winter after almost 40 years of operations. So there's certainly been closures and these are all it's worth noting smaller ski resorts so it seems to be affecting the smaller ski resorts which are showing signs of being less resilient so how is somewhere like the hakaba valley say which has something like 10 ski resorts that all fall under the hakaba brand and which was receiving around 1.5 million skis a year pre-pandemic 
How has a large ski area like that been affected? Yeah, it's been a, a massive effect. As you were saying, it was 1.5 million of skiers per year pre-pandemic, of which around 380,000 were international guests in, in 2018. And they were really expecting that number to grow. So people had been investing in their businesses, expecting a growth. And uh, the 2020-21 season saw only 800,000 guests in total coming to Hakuba, which is around half. And these are similar numbers. I mean, we talk about Hakuba, but we see similar numbers in, in Niseko as well. So in Niseko, the 2019-20 winter saw 1.7 million tourists, of which about 550,000 were international. And then fast forward to 2020, and it's about 620,000 guests, of which virtually zero are, are international. And the effect is obviously, we heard a lot of stories, I mean, uh, of struggling businesses, people having to lay off staff, um, investing in new ventures. But one thing that surprised me, to be honest, seeing the numbers and the decline, I mean, imagine losing half your income in over one year. I mean, I would have expected a lot more closures. And surprisingly, we didn't hear that many stories of businesses shutting down. And I think this is a testament to how well these resorts were doing in the in the years up to it. They sort of had a, a bit of a cushion. A lot of people we talked to were like, we have a bit of a cushion. We can do this for, for, for this season. Um, but if this continues, things are going to get really serious. Mm, yeah. One story that really stood out to me from our interviews was when I spoke to Andrew Sprague, who's a backcountry ski guide and owns a company called Rising Sun Guides in Niseko. Uh, he's not sponsoring this episode, but actually, if you are skiing in Niseko, he's a really solid ski guide and <laughs> took me to the top of Mount Yotte last year. Anyway, he was saying to me that before the pandemic, he had just over 20 full-time staff in his employ. Uh, but now it's just down to him, his wife and one staff member who's really not working full-time at all. And it's gotten so bad in Japan for Andrew that he decided to move to Canada for the season to guide there because it was a more reliable source of income than in Japan because he was getting so few customers here while the border restrictions are still in place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. These are stories that we heard everywhere. I mean, a similar one was Dave Enright, who's the owner of Evergreen Outdoor Centre in, in Hakuba, which is the largest international ski school in, in Hakuba Valley. And pre-travel ban, 95% of his clients were foreigners. So he went from 250 full-time winter employees in 2019 to, I think, less than 25 in 2021, and 10% of his revenue. And yeah, he, he interestingly was talking about also how the government was, was helping in the sense that when he was leaving employees at home, they would receive their, their salary at home. So there was mm -hmm. sort of a safety net. But yeah, this is an unsustainable situation for these businesses and also for the Japanese government, which is obviously giving out a lot of subsidies and, and supporting entire communities. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know that the entire ski industry has been affected by the pandemic, but are there any resorts that seem to be doing better than others? I think the, the key to, to the resorts that have done better than others has been diversity in, in operation and diversity in business. One excellent example, I think, is the ski resort town of Furano up in Hokkaido. And it is obviously a ski resort town, 
but its summer season is also very, very important. So actually, in terms of total revenue, the summer and winter season generate the same amount of revenue. And so this has kind of meant that they've spread their business over the entire year, and it means that they've been a lot more resilient to the impacts of reduced uh, winter sports tourism. Not to mention the fact that the area is, has a really important agricultural sector, so that's another source of income for, for local communities. So another another great example, I think, is the town of uh, Higashikawa, which is by the city of Azahikawa up in up in Hokkaido as well. And we talked to Kanako Wilcock, the managing director of Higashikawa Tourism Association. They explained that the town hadn't been overly affected by the international travel ban and also the the, the domestic travel uh, restrictions. Obviously, there had been effects, but. Their opinion was that it wasn't as severe because Higashikawa had sort of aimed to promote a different type of tourism, a model of tourism that kind of encouraged people to come and stay and not just get on the bus, ski for the weekend, and then run run back home. There was a lot of workations, people who have moved over there since uh, they're able to work remotely, and just, yeah, in general, a, a different model of tourism. In our last episode of Deep Dive, we were focusing on the Beijing Winter Olympics. And in the second half of that episode, we had a really interesting chat with Madeleine Orr about how the Winter Olympics are being affected by climate change. So I wonder how is climate change impacting Japanese ski resorts? And is it being factored into future planning as the industry recovers from the pandemic? Well, absolutely. Yes, in, in, very, in very simple terms. The climate issue is something that I take very much to heart, obviously. I mean, a lot of the reporting I do focuses on environmental issues. And one of the things that surprised me the most when when researching this article was how everyone we talked to, whether we presented the question or not, wanted to discuss climate issues. And one quote that, that particularly sort of resonated with me and stuck was when I was talking to Mr. Fukushima from the Tourism Commission of Hakuba Village. And I was asking him what he thought the long-term effects of COVID would be. And he just answered by saying, look, it's hard to answer that question because what we are really worried about in the future is the impact of climate change. And this really, really stuck with me because everyone we talked to also who had been in these areas for their whole life or for decades at least, was talking about how the mountains had changed, how snowfall patterns had changed. And if you rewind to what we were talking about before, snow is such an important factor for resorts. Right, we've seen Japanese resorts really pushing the idea of Japao, uh, Japanese powder snow. It's really the main selling point of Japanese resorts, right? You know, it's not the quality of the pistes that's boasted about or how steep or long the runs are. It's the ability and opportunity for skiers in Japan to take advantage of the 
copious amounts of fresh powder snow that falls all across the north of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. People come to Japan because they want to have that experience of being chest deep in powder and sort of all the stuff you see in the in the ski videos. And and if that changes, then how is that going to impact the ski resorts? And and this is a question that everyone's asking themselves. Everyone who is involved in businesses in these areas is, is asking themselves. Actually, after working on this article, I talked to Dr. Hiroaki Kawase from the Meteorological Research Institute. And his focus is specifically on future changes in Japan's climate and um, particularly in snowfall patterns. And he absolutely backed up what people were saying. He explained that Um, Of course, snowfall is greatly affected by changes in temperature, and obviously higher emissions will bring a decrease in overall snowfall for Japan. Obviously, there is large variability according to altitude and also latitude. Japan obviously is spread over a wide variety of latitudes, so there will be differences in how things change locally. But in general, the general pattern will be decrease in overall snowfall, increase in temperatures, and possibly also increase in extreme snowfall events. So maybe one day with massive amounts of snow and then the following day high temperatures, which is exactly not what people come for when they think about skiing in Japan. So if we take you know, the impacts of the COVID pandemic and the potential for climate change and worsening snow conditions in the future. What do you see as the outlook for the ski industry here in Japan? Well, the outlook is certainly not entirely bad. Obviously, the effects of the pandemic are still unknown in terms of the long-term effects. Obviously, we have this looming shadow of, of climate change. But investors are maybe not seeing the same things we are because there's definitely a lot of money pouring into I would say the the main resorts. Uh, The money seems to be concentrating in certain ski resorts, such as, for example, Niseko, Nozawa, Hakuba, um, and especially up in Hokkaido with the prospect of the Sapporo Winter Olympics in 2030, which is still not a certainty, but looks like it is a likely outcome. Um, There's a lot, a lot of investment. Also think about uh, the Winter Olympics going on now. Beijing 2022 is... It's taking place in China, and that's going to uh, expose potentially around 300 million people to, to winter sports. And this is a huge, massive source of, of potential clients, and it's a short flight to Japan. And you already have existing infrastructure, you have large amounts of snow, you have an exotic uh, vacation destination. So it does make sense for a lot of Chinese investors to to put money into existing ski resorts, bring them up to to modern standards, let's say, and, and sort of promote skiing in Japan. Yeah, although there's a cruel irony there in that if Japanese resorts become even more reliant on guests flying in from overseas, yeah, they might survive in the short term. But if the number of people flying also increases, it will only make the problem of climate change worse in the long run and potentially hasten the decline in snow quality, which must be something that resorts are thinking about as well. Absolutely. And I think that was another thing that really surprised me in the research for this article. There's a big uh, push for nighttime skiing in Japan, which is something that was new to me from coming from Europe. And I always looked at all those lights driving back home in the evening in, in Hakuba and thinking, wow, that is a lot of energy for all those lights. But actually, it turns out that the energy to power the night skiing in the Goryu resort of Hakuba Valley is 
produce using renewable energy and Hapo, Hapone, which is one of the main resorts in Akuba Valley, a, a significant portion of the energy that they use to power the lifts is renewable energy. Um, Iwatake Resort aims to be the first plastic-free resort by next season. There's definitely a consciousness about climate issues in Japanese ski resorts that is that in some senses puts it ahead of the rest of, of Japanese society in terms of awareness and planning for climate change and the effects of climate change. And that was very refreshing and, and good to see. And does it seem like resorts just have this understanding now that if they want to survive into the future, that they can't just develop the ski season. They also have to develop the green season for other outdoor activities to make sure that they have income all year round. Yeah, absolutely this. We need to look at the summer season. We need to diversify. We can't just keep relying on on the winter season because we don't know what the snow situation is going to be. We've seen the effects of the pandemic. So there's a turn towards mountain biking, trekking, stand-up paddling, rafting, like a, an idea of just developing the the four seasons and that's certainly a big project well we've heard it throughout in most resorts but it's certainly a big part of Hakuba Valley's outlook going forward well Francesco thank you very much for joining me today thanks a lot Oscar thanks a lot and I look forward to getting out and skiing with you soon That was Francesco Bassetti. My thanks to him for joining us this week. I've put a link to our article on how Japan's ski industry is coping with the pandemic in the show notes. Also in the Japan Times this week, as Japan continues to endure the Omicron wave, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has set a target of speeding up COVID-19 booster vaccinations to 1 million shots a day by the end of this month. This week, the government is also expected to decide on whether to extend the quasi-state of emergency in Tokyo and 12 prefectures. The current measures are set to expire on February 13th at the end of this week. Before we wrap up this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that we are currently experimenting with providing transcripts of new episodes of Deep Dive. You can find the transcript for this episode and last week's episode on the Japan Times website. If you find transcripts useful, please do let us know how you're using them and how they can be improved. Get in touch with us on Twitter or by mailing deepdive at japantimes.co.jp. Thanks as always for listening. And until next time, Podskali Summer.